Sagata Sanshiro was uh, something of an icon for me. Apart from the fact that I didn't live in Japan at the time and so, had so no the idea. Ads later in life, I only saw stills of the ads in the official Saturn magazine, uh, <laughs> but uh, which the British version of which was actually really good and edited by Richard Ledbetter, who now runs Digital Foundry. Really, on YouTube's yes. Do you remember when there used to be games magazines for every specific console and everything? Yeah. It ain't a thing anymore, is it? No. Like well, uh, Nintendo doesn't have, like, Nintendo magazine, per se, in the UK anymore, does it? They definitely used to. Because I, I wasn't a Nintendo kid growing up, aside from my Game Boy. I, I, I got an SNES when I was younger, and my brother had an yeah. N64. But I remember buying Nintendo magazine in the early 2000s. Because it ha- its main feature was Luigi's Mansion, yeah. and the imagery of Luigi's Mansion was, was so cool. I was like, I want to buy that and read about it. I was reading it quite regularly uh, in the first couple of years of the Wii being a thing. Oh, God, yeah. Just to work out, you know... We like to play. What what what, what I could buy for this console. <laughs> this, this bizarre... Well, this, you could buy Just Dance 2020. Just Dance 2020. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if it's still a thing. Well, do you know, it is still a thing. Uh, Miraculously. Us. Big damn cast, ladies Yay! and gentlemen. Welcome to another fantastic episode of a thing that you're listening to. My name is Chris. Oh, wait. I've got one trapped. Oh, I'm not going to force it. Johnson. <laughs> My name is Matthew. If I force it, I'll follow through, Watson. And you are here. Thanks. We appreciate that. If you enjoy you... the big damn cast, please let other people know, because if uh... you don't... We won't grow, and if we don't grow, we don't glow. And if we don't glow, we don't... No, hey now, you're an all-star. If we don't glow... Get your game on. We can't be seen at night, and we'll be run down in the road. Is that what you want for us? Do you want us to be run down in the road? Like so many rabbits. I saw a hedgehog near yours the other week. I think I told you, didn't I? Did he get run down in the road? No, but it... Then what is the relevance of this story? It waddled toward me and Lou. <laughs> it, was, it was when Lucy and I were walking over. It waddled toward us. It was just like, is that a guinea pig? Because, you know, we were drunk. But also, yeah. this 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 thing was in the middle of the path. And it was it was confidently walking towards us. We were like, this has got to be like a this has got to be this, like a household pet that's got out or something. This thing. But then it got close to our shadows, spotted us, and scurried away. And that was when we were like, "Oh my god, it's a hedgehog!" And we went and having, said hello. Having seen a hedgehog, hedgehog up close, how do you feel the art team for the Something the Hedgehog movie did in terms of representing the realities of a hedgehog um, on film? You know, I my beef isn't with them. My beef is with. Uh, whoever created hedgehogs because <laughs> it didn't have any human teeth. <laughs> Four out of ten. Four out of it ten. It does not have human teeth. But it does have news stories. This week what? on Big Dumb Cast, we and our hedgehog sidekicks, Dave Hedgehog. Uh, Dave the Hedgehog. <laughs> Hi everybody, it's me, Dave Hedgehog. But where's Spudgun? Um... <laughs> uh... We're going to be 
We're going to be giving you some spoiler-free opinions on Netflix's latest sci-fi fantasy offerings, namely Jessica Jones Series 3, a.k.a. the final MCU Netflix property hour. Yep. Uh, We're also going to be talking about... Wow, this idea was ripped off from the dude who was chucked out of it early in the early stages, who now legally might be getting rid of it for everybody in a weird case of... I kind of want him to, like, succeed... For, you know, moral reasons, but at the same time, that would suck. It kind of sucks. Stranger Things, season thrice. Um, we're also going to delve a little bit into your emails. We've got some talk about finales, good or bad. But before that, Matthew, what pop cultural bullshit's been going on this week in the world? Well. Do you like the new Sting? Uh, it, was, it was pretty good. Thanks. It was pretty good. Um, I worked all the last 30 seconds on that. Disney are continuing their live-action juggernaut. <laughs> um, not that juggernaut, either. Oh, God. Um, they are continuing to push forward with their live-action projects to the point where, this week, we got not one, but two mm, juicy tidbits. Um, the least controversial of the two. Oh, has to be the uh, the teaser for Mulan's live action remake. Yeah, which, which is they, hitting in spring of 2020. Which they've made a point of saying is not a direct remake of the animated film. I don't think we're getting Mushu somehow. Yeah, and, and it will not be a musical. Now, yes. once upon a time, when these remakes were first churning out, I think around the time of Jungle Book in our first year, mm. I said that these movies are pointless. Um. You can't reinterpret them too much because they won't dare do that. But the only Disney Renaissance remakey thing that would kind of excite me yeah. is Mulan, just because I would love to see a story like that with that, you know, that, uh, set in that part of the world with a cast of non-white American leads. No, you're definitely getting... Uh... And those visuals, like, that would be very cool to see in mainstream Hollywood. That would be a way for them to do something kind of cool for movies and representation in film in general. Yeah. But also because I'm I not as attached to Mulan as I am to a lot of the rest of the Renaissance. Yeah. It just sort of, it kind of escaped me a bit. I didn't see it in cinemas. I didn't have it on VHS. My first exposure to it was watching it at the... Do you remember when Morrison's had a crash? What? Right, so... Our local Morrison's used to be a Safeway. Yeah. And shortly after it became a Morrison's, it had a crash. No. So it had, like, a mini ball pit, playpen thing. Nah. True true that. True that. You're lying to me. And I was about 11 or 12, so, like, if it was a big shop or whatever, um, they'd pay the three or four quid, and my little brother Toby would go in, who was, like, six or seven, and I'd just sort of, like, hang out in there, because... It was more exciting than shopping. You're fully lying to me. And one time, I think my mum went shopping a few places. Like She was gone for a good hour and a half. And in that hour and a half, I just whacked on a video that was in the like the, the TV area or whatever, because all the little kids were playing on the playpen. Yeah. And it was Mulan. And that was the first time I watched Mulan. And I was like, it's alright. Like, I like it. Well, um, shit. My wife loves it. She and her sister like sing the songs at each other a lot and quote it a lot. Um, but because I'm not as attached to, to it, I guess that gave me enough of a dissonance to be like, yeah, I don't mind seeing that one remade, just because I'd like to see the cool stuff that would come out of a live-action version of Mulan. Yeah, let's Get Down to Business is pretty great, right? The songs are really good. The songs are really good. I, I just, it was never my, it was never my thing. Like, a Reflection is a Mulan one, isn't it? That's mm. gorgeous. 
Um, a girl worth fighting for. Like, that one's really good. Um, be a man, yeah. Let's get down to business to defeat the Hun. Mm. Um, it's cool. Like, that's cool. But it's one of those where I'm like, yeah, you could tell that more straight and not do a, a, a remake of the animated one. And that looks like the route they're going down. Yeah. Although, if you see from the trailer, there are some nice visual nods to the animated one in a way that is more like a visual nod sort of hat to bat. This looks like it's going down the Jungle Book route. Yeah. I think like, we'll definitely be getting a training montage or three. Yeah, oh god, yeah. Uh, J- Jungle Book's only flaw, the Jungle Book remake's only flaw, really, was the songs. Yeah. They should have chose to either put all of them in or none of them in. Because Bare Necessities comes out of nowhere about 50 minutes in. Yeah. And then... I want to be like you happens sort of. And it's really weird and confusing. It's like, wait, right, what? Why were there just two songs in this movie after the 45 minute mark? <laughs> What's happening? Um, whereas you get a version of Trust in Me, don't we? Over the credits, yeah. Which is, I think... Oh! Which is, I think, a good way um, to do it, almost. Like, you should have just put the songs over the credits as a... Over the credits, it's a... And here's our, here's our tip of the hat to the animated original. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, or put them all in the movie and stick a couple more in there beside those three songs that were recorded. Yes. Um, Mulan is avoiding that. It looks like Mushu's not going to be in it. And again, I'm kind of fine with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm also fi- fine fine with that. You know, but, but also, based on the trailer, it looks like they're not doing the uh, Mulan disguising herself as a, as a young lad. Do you think? But there's no there's no other imagery showing her in disguise. Hmm. But that does lose something that would be kind of cool to see in this day and age. Hmm. Which is... Because I don't think... I don't know if... Is Lee Shang in it? According to the IMDb? Is the character of Lee Shang in the movie? Uh, I'm looking at the cast list now, but I can't see a Lee Shang. Because Lee Shang is, of course, the you know the general and the... the in in the the beauty that is Mulan, the original, like is the love interest of the movie, which was such a rare thing, really, for the the more action oriented Disney films, for them to be about a female character with a male love interest. Um, but Li Shang is retroactively he's become a bit of a bisexual icon. Yeah, because he falls in love with what, what's Mulan's disguise again? Uh, is it, oh. is it, I do I want to say, I want to say ping, remember. but I don't think it's ping. Because it's like a young lad name, I'm not sure, but... Um, yeah. Like, he falls in love with him. Like, he starts to get feelings for him. Yeah. And then when he discovers it's Mulan, he's like, oh my god, right, oh, this is who you really are. And it's never sort of mentioned or highlighted or, or turned into a thing of like, ooh, what the hell in the film in any way. He just is in love with the person. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's pretty damn... Wow, Disney! Like, okay! And it's a very fably, fairy taley trope of, like, you know, the Prince and the Pauper and things like that. And, you know, it's a tale all the time, the idea of someone disguising as one thing to be someone else and someone falling in love with them and this, that, and the other. It's been done a billion times in fantasy and comedy and fairy tales because we don't overanalyze that stuff too much. Yeah. But in a modern era, that would be kind of cool to see. It looks like he's not in the film. It's like, oh, okay. Unless they've just changed the name and they've got a different character filling that role. Maybe, but will he be falling in love with the, a young man and then a young woman? And Do you know what I mean? It's, I mean, we can only hope. I don't know. I, again, I, I'm only slightly more intrigued by this one because it's, you know, I'm detached from the original 
in a way that I'm not from the other 90s ones. And also, like, it's just cool. It's cool to see this kind of thing done in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, it, it's definitely more exciting than the third bit of Disney that got snuck out this week, which was another trailer for um, Maleficent. Uh, oh, I completely missed that. Yeah, it's it's it's. <gasps> I wasn't a huge on the first Maleficent. I wa- I wasn't huge on the first Maleficent because I like the idea of like, hey, you think you know the story, but what about this? But it's been that is a trope that's been beaten into the ground now. Yeah, that's like, been absolutely beaten into the ground, and I hate that it's being used specifically for villains because sometimes it is cool just to have, as we've talked about before, a black and white good guy bad guy dynamic. Sometimes, especially in family movies, that's you know fun. It's more entertaining as like a as the as far as the escapism goes. Yeah, um, gray areas are amazing. Like again, sort of dipping into recent cinema and stuff. Uh, Kylo Ren in the, the Star Wars sequel trilogy. Oh, he's yeah. a bad guy, but you can see that flicker of good in <clears throat> him. But he's still boo hissy, you know, stroppy teenager with way too much power. <laughs> Got that kind of yeah. thing going on. So that's still, you know, you get a healthy balance of the two. Um, you know, the Marvel villains, some of them are just, you get why they're doing what they're doing, but they yeah. are just boo yeah, hiss. Yeah. So like Thanos or Hela, you know what I mean? Mm. Like you get where they're coming from, but they're still doing horrible things. I do love a Hela. Then you get the ones where you're like, no, I, I totally get where you're coming from, but seriously, please stop because what you're doing is the wrong way to do it. Like Killmonger. Like Vulture, you know, you get those characters. Yeah. So you get you get a nice balance, you know what I mean? Like, um, Kilgrave in Jessica Jones series one was more interesting to me when he was just flat out nasty. Yeah. The more they tried to delve into his morality, the more I was like, no, 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 no. His power is creepy and horrible and scary. Like, indulge in that. Yeah. Give us somebody who our hero is going to eventually punch their lights out. We're all going to cheer. Like, let's do that. Why not? Uh, Maleficent, this film, the, the original was like, oh, she's not really bad. She's I mean, horrible. A horrible thing happened to her. She was essentially violated that led to her going down a certain path. But then yeah. they hastily remake Sleeping Beauty in the last 10 minutes. And it's yeah. like, what's the point? The sequel is sort of doing it again. It's showing like her upbringing and the people in Aurora's life that now make her act out against them on purpose. Witness and... the side of the story you never knew. Again, you know how you know how I feel about Wicked, for example. It's got some great songs. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, um, uh, uh, what, what is this feeling? Is great. That's yes. a great song. Uh, no one mourns the Wicked, or Wicked, whatever it's called. The the opening like mm-hmm. Gambit. That's beautiful. I just it's the X Men origins of musicals. Like, this is a story I didn't need to know, and by knowing it, I now hate the actual thing. To be fair, it is based on a novel, so it's not... True. It's not necessarily True. the fault of the production, but yeah. Oh, know. and it's not the fault of the show, but it's the more that... The story that he's being told is pointless. Yeah. Yeah. And then the fact that, again, it hastily remakes... Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz in the last ten minutes, which is weird, because it's like, wait, did Dorothy go on an adventure with the... The nasty piece of shit you turned yeah. into a scarecrow or whatever. And it's, it's like, wait, what? Oh, and the lion's casually mentioned as just a lion that escapes. And yeah. stuff. It's like, what is this? Sure. Sure, this sure, is sure. so stupid. Um, but remember, these things are sent to trials. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh, Galinda, what a bitch. Um, but the point is... Galinda. 
I'm surprised no one's ever done a girl named <laughs> But that's not the only Disney flick we got something about this week. No, probably the most exciting Disney news mm. this week. And again, was... like when we say most exciting, we mean the news we're about to speak about, not that the film that it is involved no. with no, no. exists. I mean, it's another it's another pointless live action <laughs> it's remake. It's another pointless live action remake. But, um, yeah, so the live action remake of Little Mermaid has found its aerial in a 19-year-old Halle Bailey. Well, good. Who, She's not 15, so it won't be creepy when people yes. fancy her like they um, did with the original cartoon. But yeah, so she's a, a you know a young up and comer. She's done a lot of uh, work as a did a bit of work as a, as a child actress and musician. Yeah, she's uh, part of a, she's part of a, a, a girl group, isn't she? It's yeah, like a, it's like a, 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 a duo. Yes. Um, um, so they've hired someone with pipes to play the role, which is nice because so far all the musical ones have hired people who aren't known for their singing. Yes. And as a result, you've had some who can oh. hold a tune, but weirdly are auto-tuned, or ones who cannot hold a tune who are auto-tuned. That reminds me of the Beauty the Beast live-action remakes on Netflix. Fuck that movie. Uh, I should probably I give that. that a go. Have you not watched um, it? No. Right, seriously? You, you and Keats need to watch it together. You'll have okay. a blast because it is... I feel awful. like blast I, might be the wrong word. No, you'll have a great time shredding it to pieces, I promise oh, okay. you. I think she might um, have seen it, actually. It's not good. And it, it's um, also that thing of it, the attitude of these films, which uh, Tony Goldmark on Some Joke with the Camera's YouTube channel made, oh, a, great, yeah. made a great point of this. Um, cause he has a series called One Movie Later, where they watch a film. He talks about it beforehand, and then they all get together and talk about it after they've seen it. And they've been covering... They always do films that have tangential links to the Disney theme parks. So the live-action Disney remakes all get part of the series. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, oh, and, and, and uh, yeah, this year he's been doing the 2019 trilogy, two parts of which are already out, Dumbo and Aladdin. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, it, it, he goes on to say that what these films tend to do is the changes they make tend to be, oh, well... That was all right. So that was a dumb little thing in the original, but we're going to explain why it has to happen, or we're going to explain no. why it happened. Do you know what I mean? So Don't like, do that. In Aladdin, Jafar wants power. Why? Well, I guess we'll have to. We'll explain that so it's not just dumb and open. It's just like what? Just, no, Beauty and the Beast is full of that. Yeah, full of. Well, um, people always mention why did this happen in the original? Uh, no, they didn't. Well. Like stupid snarky, like freaking Collider articles and stuff mention that. Yeah, well, we're going to explain it away. It's like it's Stockholm syndrome. It's really, oh, it's really, really um, dumb. But, so, uh, but anyway, back yeah. to Holly Bailey. <laughs> uh, so, Holly Bailey has been Tangent. cast as Ariel in The Little Mermaid. I have no idea who Holly Bailey is prior to this, but she looks perfect for it. She's like a little ray of sunshine. Yeah, attitude's great from interviews I've read. Yeah. Like. Again, vocals, great. Hiring a singer who is also yeah. a performer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who's a young performer who is a, as far as like world famous, is a relative unknown, which is good because yeah. that won't distract. It won't be, that's Emma Watson as Belle. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It'll, it'll be more like, um, oh God, a lad who played Aladdin. That dude. That dude. Aladdin I mean, dude. To be fair to him, he didn't have a great deal of charisma. No, but at the same time, no one was looking at it going, it's such a body. Yeah, Aladdin. yeah. It was, that's Aladdin. Um, you know, whereas everyone was going, it's Will Smith as the genie, instead of, oh, it's the genie. So that's nice, but... On the show to Emma Watson, though, yeah. I also watched This Is The End last week. Oh, that. yeah, yeah. That was that was a lot of fun. Is it? Yeah. All right. Anyway, that's All right, I, uh, I, I like a lot of the people involved in that, but the... Everything I've seen from that movie, I'm just like, I don't know if I want to watch this. I'll tell you some more about it later. Okay. Okay. 
Oh, God. Mm. I know someone at one point says, like, fuck you, Hermione, or something like that, which is like, oh, that's bold. Not quite. Okay. Uh, Hermione robbed us? Or something like that? that. I don't know. Anyway, um... Uh, who is it who gets brutally killed in the opening like five minutes? Is it is it Michael Cera? Michael Cera. Yeah. Uh, that's quite funny. Yeah, it's quite Okay, funny. fine, I'll watch it. Is it on Netflix? Uh, yes. I'll watch it. Um, I'll watch Jonah Hill get pegged. But the point is, uh, the internet got pegged, or at least the angry internet got pegged this week, because with Halle Bailey's casting... See, Halle Bailey is not Caucasian. What? Yeah. Isn't it weird how that is an important piece of information apparently about the casting of Ariel because it turns out guys people are angry when Ariel isn't white like she is uh, in the original why what? well you know like why are you changing it what what do you mean why is she not white does she have to be white yeah because she wasn't the original yeah but is her being white part of the story no but you have a problem with her skin colour yes you're racist so, I'm just, I'm putting it out there. That's yeah. racism. Whether or not the person is a racist or doesn't realise that that is a racist stance, like, they could be completely unaware that that is a racist stance. Yeah. And hopefully people explaining, because never, never bash people, guys, but hopefully people explaining to them calmly, look, her skin colour has nothing to do with the part at all. And if you have a problem with that, that's a, that's a bit upsetting, because... Mm. Like, that means you're saying her skin colour means she's not qualified to play the role, and that's the only reason you have a problem with it. Hopefully that would make some people go, oh god, you're right. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I didn't think of it that way. I'm really sorry. I just, I'm just too attached to the original or whatever, la la. Cool, but it's a racist point of view. It the is original... a racist point of view to yeah. be like, she can't play her because she's not white. Um, especially because so many, so many try to justify that. By saying, well, you know, like, the story is uh, Danish, so she should oh, be white. Yeah, it's okay. like, cool, 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 oh, sorry, cool, cool, the fictional cool, cool. mermaid in a uh, story that doesn't take place in Denmark, even. Never mind the fact she's a, a a character who's from a fictional race of magical creatures that live in the sea. Yeah, yeah. Never mind that. Like, you're suggesting that she should be the skin colour of the origin of the story. That's bullshit. Yeah. Well... Well, you know, there's like, I mean, if you really want to get into it, there's Caribbean heritage with this story as well. Yeah. Like, Sebastian's accent is slightly insensitive in the original when you think about uh, it based on the Caribbean <laughs> connection. But again, he's a fictional talking crab, and they obviously decided to give him a, a Jamaican flavour to his accent. Yeah. And that was just a choice of the film. Like, it's, the crab doesn't have a fucking... not saying it was a good choice. The, the crab, but the crab doesn't have an ethnicity because it's a crab. So you can play around with that. No, but you you. you but similarly, your put mermaid coding on it depending on how the character is presented. True, in a way, but but the easy thing to do with that is just having voice different from the original, regardless of what his accent or, yeah. or voice is. It doesn't matter. It's just it's Sebastian. Whereas the mermaid, like in the context of the movie, her race, her ethnicity does not matter at all. In the context of the movie, in our world, yeah, it's cool that it's different. Yeah, it's a mainstream film. Mainstream film that will get a shitload of attention and inspire young girls and boys around the world. So the fact that you're going to see somebody on screen who still in 2019 is not the sort of face you see in mainstream cinema a lot. Yeah, that's cool. I I couldn't give a shit about this movie as a movie at all, but I'll damn well fight for Disney's right to to cast Halle. Yeah. I'll damn well fight 
for her being like a, a spokesperson for kids. Freaking great! Like amazing! Yes, please. I... The problem is, Matt. I voiced that on Twitter oh, in the form of no. a humorous poem. Uh, oh I, I, no! I rewrote the lyrics to part of Under the Sea, a little parody. Oh no! And I have awoken the wrath of the MAGA crowd and the racist. Isn't it weird how that's a correlation, Matt? People who get pissy about being accused of, of racist tendencies, how most of them seem to also yeah, be far-right-leaning American um, Trump Oh, voters. there's also... The, uh, the, the Britain gets their fair share of far-righters. Oh, right, yeah. far so oh, yeah. you know. oh, it's not American-exclusive, but it, 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 it it's it's disturbing how many of them lean to the right. Yeah. And now that you can have the right saying, like, hang on, no, we're not all racist. I'm not saying you are. If, I, if I'm if i saying, like, in my original thing, I, I say, the lyrics I wrote, the start of it were, under the sea, under the sea, up there on Twitter, racists are bitter, take it from me. They, they are. If you as a person read my tweet and go, I'm not a racist, in response to that line, then it, <laughs> then it wasn't aimed at you, was it? But the fact you reacted says a lot. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. Maybe it wasn't aimed at you, but maybe, maybe it does fit you, yeah. and you don't realise it. I uh, just, I, can't, I, uh, virgin if hell. If the shoe fits, virgin hell, jog on. God, I'm not even like, to, for lack of a better term to use, I I'm not mad. even, I'm not even white knighting. Do you know what I mean? I'm just like, it, it, racism sucks. Racism is horrible. Racism is dis- disgusting. It is, it is gross. Can't we just let Ariel be Ariel? Yeah. Just let Ariel be Ariel. It's great. And as I said at the end of the thing, uh, rethink your rages, there's kids in cages. Yeah. Which again, people have said, oh, this is a fucking political statement, I can't believe the link is political. It's like, everything is a political statement! The point I'm making is, there are things in this world to actually get angry about and fight for and fight against, and Ariel's casting is not one of them. You see, Celebrate a casting, but you don't have to fight for it, and you don't have to fight against it. Celebrate it, enjoy the movie, or don't enjoy the movie, move on. But that angry energy you've got... Maybe help save some kids at the border who are put into horrible conditions. Did you see on... Maybe um, vote to put people in positions of power that will actually change your world for the better. Maybe put that energy into those things. I, End statement. I think it was on Movie Bob's Twitter he, he retweeted someone who had been trying to argue that Robocop is not a politically charged film. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? Robocop's like the most politically charged piece of science fiction popular culture from the last 30, 40 years. It's, yeah. It's like, come on. Are these the same people who say, like, oh, I can't believe Doctor Who started pushing agendas on us. Oh, Doctor Who's been pushing oh. agendas since his very first it's episode. Like, has no one noticed that... Oh that, that has anybody who's got even one toe in the um, <laughs> in the Doctor Who fan base not noticed that a huge, probably disproportionate to yeah. most fandom amounts of that fan base is LGBTQ+. Yeah. Like... There's probably a reason for that. It's about acceptance and being true to yourself and giving important messages and freaking support to people who feel marginalised. Mm. That's a political stance. It shouldn't be. It should be a fucking human and stance. Also, but, you know. also it's a show that's not afraid to go gay. Oh, God, yeah. Well, just lots of stuff. Like when people go, oh, the freaking 
Like, why are you making? Why are you making Doctor Who political? It's always been political. Why are you trying to send messages? I'm sorry. You, what's, what's your favorite Doctor Who monster? The Daleks. The Nazi allegory. The Nazi oh, allegory yeah. that the yeah. show has made a point of fighting against ever since it started. Can we just because it's making a political point? Can we just oh go out God. and say that every point is a political point? Also, point, like, can we go out and say anybody who calls someone an SJW as a comeback or an insult, immediately their opinion yeah, is invalid. You've, lo- you've lost the argument. Sorry. You've lost the argument. Sorry. Just, oh my well, god. I'm not, I'm not sorry, but yeah. You, you, oh my god. Um, I just, I, I, Lucy's not on Twitter, and I just was like, so this is it. I was like, I can I read you a couple of the negative responses I've had? Like, this, that, the other, that. And she went, I'm glad I'm not on there. It sounds like just a, a bastion of cunts. I was like, is it? Yeah. That's Twitter. Twitter Um, Twitter is where cunts think that their opinion matters, and no, that their opinion matters and is more important than other people's opinion. Facebook is where you discover your racist relatives. Yes, (laughs) that's that's very true. And Tumblr doesn't even have boobs anymore. So what's the point? Yeah, what is the point? Let's all get off the internet. No, stop listening to this podcast. What? No, wait, no, 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 keep listening, keep listening. Because speaking of cunts, yes, let's talk about Jessica Jones. Um, right, what? Starters, just remind you guys, this is spoiler-free, don't spoiler you worry, free. Matt is going to be reviewing Jessica Jones Series 3, but second point, wait, what? No, um, this is a show that's full of awful people. Oh, thank well God. Uh, I thought, like, Kristen Ritter would come to your house and punch I mean, your cat. Jessica does kind of top the list of those awful people at times. Oh, God. Uh, in did, this series in particular? Um, in all things ever. <laughs> just in all things. Just in all, if there's, like, a, a set of rankings of characters who are bad people... Guess who's near the top of it? Jessica Jones. Uh, Jessica Jones. But we love her anyway because she's Jessica Jones. So, uh, did you see season two? I did see season two of Jessica okay. Jones. I did indeed. Did you? So you uh, are aware of where the the status quo of that of that show season ended? Yes. So just to recap, mild spoilers for the first two seasons. Uh, no, not mild spoilers. Big spoilers for the first two seasons. But hey, they're the first two seasons. And this is season three. So what the fuck do you expect? <laughs> it's um, not in 2015. Catch up. Yeah. Uh, it's oh my Netflix. god, it started in 2015. This is also the final Marvel Netflix show. It is. Final season, this is the last final one. show. Um, um, down to various reasons, but it appears to mostly be rights because... It was not constructed as such. Well, it was just... oh, they, they, they never Netflix never gave the, oh, they're underperforming as, as the reason no, for cancellation. No, no, no. Um, but it happened to all of them. Yeah. And... and Based on when Disney Plus is starting, which is toward the end of this year, and when we first got cancellation, which was Daredevil about a year and a half ago. Uh, it, was, it was it was last. No, no just, it was just that last season. It was just so under it was... a year ago. It was just under a year ago. Oh, it was like Jesus. it was like sort of September October time that it was confirmed. Ah. Uh, and then shortly after that, Luke Cage and Iron Fist were confirmed, cancelled too. And then earlier this year, Punisher and Jessica Jones were confirmed. Um, it seems like it might be a rights thing because what we know of the Marvel Netflix deal is that Netflix have the exclusive rights to those iterations of the characters for up to two years after their cancellation. Fun. Which means if they were cancelled, after two years, Netflix could choose to keep the shows on or take them off or do whatever they please with them. But after that time, Marvel could do something else with those iterations of the characters. Yes. So... If Marvel say, and, that, that, and that's in terms of release. So if say Marvel wanted D'Onofrio's Kingpin to appear in an MCU movie, which they really totally should, and he keeps going on about that, yes, please, that would be fun. I'd I love to like be in that. a Spider-Man movie. He keeps saying it, and I don't blame him. Um, they could 
Daredevil cancelled last October. Yeah. They could start shooting D'Onofrio as Kingpin after this October, as long as whatever the project was came out after the following October. They Is that do, how that works? Do, yeah. It, it's, it's, they have the rights to the characters for two years in terms of mm. um, projects and, and product. So the mm. characters... Like, you could, you could reveal the day before the rights are about to run out for Netflix, for Daredevil, that the next day Disney Plus are going to have a Daredevil film continuing the Charlie Cox Daredevil. But you couldn't have shot and then, it. No, but then the next day, as soon as the rights are thinking, they could put it out. No. Yeah, you, you totally could. You no. totally could. Anyway, this is beside the point. Um, <laughs> People might try and fight it along the way. Netflix might try and fight it and be like, you're, yeah. already, you're already working with them. And it's like, yeah, we've not released anything. Not only do I not believe you, but this is irrelevant. Um, irrelevant! Irrelevant! There you go. Um, but interesting. Now we're YouTubers. Um, so. so um, YouTube. Jessica Jones. Hi. Uh, traumatised, former superhero, private eye. She has powers. She has problems. Uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> um, she... So, at the end of the last season, saw her... A wedge driven between her and her foster sister slash best friend, Trish Walker, uh, after the reappearance and subsequent death, uh, subsequent murder, maybe maybe say, of Jessica's biological mother. Um, and... Sort of left that sort of impasse, but also left Trish with maybe powers because Trish is, of course, a screen version of the Marvel character Patsy Walker, aka Hellcats, um, who who has had now a similar story mirroring her comics counterpart in terms of the pro- pro- progression of the character within a medium. Yes, like Trish War- uh, Patsy Walker was a romance comic character from early you know, like Marvel sort of stuff. She was in those yeah. sweet sweet pie like you know rom com comic books. Yep. And then eventually she got folded into the Marvel Universe. Well, one, they, they made a push to do like a bunch of new female characters in like the late sixties, early seventies. Yeah. 70s, um, I think, for yeah. Um, and because that's where also we got Night Nurse from. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was... Yeah, they reintroduced Patsy Walker as Hellcat. Yeah, they were like, um, screw it, let's take the characters in the romance comics. Although originally... that those romance comics happened. Originally and... she was just the cat. Yeah. Uh, but in this... <laughs> and, then, in... and then someone at DC probably knocked on and went, yeah, you've now got two characters that are yeah. very close to one of ours. Yeah. They're like, okay. Um, <laughs> Make so... it yellow and call her Hellcat. In uh, in this version, uh, in this universe, Je- uh, Trish Walker is was formerly a child star known as Patsy, uh, who was in the titular show. Um, she was the title role on the show. It's Patsy as a child, <laughs> and then later on became a, a variously successful musician. Um, and <laughs> she, she did that one single that was awful. I want you, I want you, cray cray. Um, oh god, yeah, yeah, it's bad. Oh god. Um, and then later on a talk show host, and but she's ever since Jess got her powers, she's had a hankering to be a hero. Um, so this actually picks up on a lot of the threads really nicely, and gives us a satisfying, compelling. And uh, in some places, pretty unexpected 
final season of Jessica Jones. I don't know if it was always intended to be a final season, but it, and I said, I don't think it was finished before they, I think it was finished before they knew they weren't getting a fourth. Oh, does it feel like um, it's got some threads? But, no, no, it actually feels quite, um, definitive. Definitive. It's like, almost like this, this, these three seasons could be a, a trilogy of Jessica Jones. Um, and, it's a real satisfying in, in the way that they've developed the side characters, some of which are, uh, have comic book counterparts, some of which are more, mostly, if not completely original creations. Like Malcolm. Like Malcolm. Example, yeah. Um, it's really satisfying to see how those characters develop in relation to Jessica and what she's going through. But the basic plot of this season is that, um, so there's that wedge between Jessica and Trish. Trish wants to become a vigilante um, and, you know, take take justice into her own hands. Because mm, last year um, she dabbled with the chemical uh, yes, stuff and, and got hooked on the adrenaline and the yes. super strength rushes. So she's wanting to, to do more of that. Uh, Malcolm is working as a investigator slash fixer for Hogarth. Yeah. Hogarth is... Who, who, who uh, approached him at the end of Series 2. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Hogarth is um, facing a uh, ALS diagnosis and her uh, slow um, descent into uh, the more and more difficult to manage symptoms and eventually death. And so she's got some uh, motivation to, to do some things there. And Jessica, who is running a more, you know, regular age, she's she's got a she's got a secretary. Okay, it's actually a great addition to the show. Jillian, <laughs> uh, she's a um, fantastic character who just does not stand for any <laughs> of Jessica's bullshit, um, and is great. Uh, so she ends up <laughs> meeting a. Uh, a guy called Eric at a bar and and discovers that Eric has this Eric Geldon, who I don't think has a comic book counterpart um, but he has the ability to sense people's um, evil is the wrong word but he can sense bad people people who've done bad things Mm -hmm. and it causes him pain, causing physical pain Damn, okay. And that puts them onto the trail of a serial killer. Um, and that's the sort of general setup for this season. So it's it's our detective hero versus yes. a, 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 but also, a multiple murderer. Also brings in a lot of tension about powered vigilantes and their role in the justice system and legally. So there's some interesting... So, uh, so this is the first time the MCU's like kind of touched on it since Civil War, really, I guess. Yeah. Um, this... Maybe like, what, what is the fallout of you lot existing? But there's also um, just another a, a further exploration of like the morality of, particularly with Malcolm's character, is like, how what are you willing to do for your own career? How far are you willing to go? How How much damage are you willing to do to people to get where you want to be, okay, and that that the the sort of 
that is a very strong thread that unites, particularly the way that Trish goes, the way that Holgarth goes, the way that Malcolm goes. Um, and it's a really, really good, strong season of TV. There's some very, very tense stuff in here, some very, um, very dark and violent uh, stuff, like the the... The, so, uh, for those who don't know, this is a, uh, it's not really a mild spoiler, but... Um, so, the serial killer in question is a version of the Marvel character Fool Killer? Yes. Um, but has very little relation to that character, in yeah. terms of the way they're presented. Um, but, is a very interesting exploration of... It, because there is an element of that that character has a a problem with powered people mm-hmm. um, and a chip on their shoulder about that, and I th- it, it it explores quite nicely the uh, the idea of people who make good heroes aren't always necessarily people who want to be heroes. Yeah, and the yeah. people who want to be heroes maybe aren't the best for that job um, and also what constitutes a hero and what constitutes you know, is is there a way to make the world I, doing certain things to certain people will make the world a better place but is it worth the cost yeah and um, yeah it's it, it's been the most I think of, of the, the Marvel Netflix series that Jessica Jones has been the most tonally consistent it's been the most thematically consistent um, and probably stands on its own as a as a work better than any of the, the oh, Netflix yeah. I mean, shows. I've not watched series 2 of Luke Cage yet um, or Punisher for example but like Jessica Jones is the only one that feels like it doesn't require extended knowledge of the it rest of it absolutely doesn't like uh, the Defenders for example doesn't. is acknowledged briefly in Jessica Jones series 2 the events of Defenders is like nodded to. Yeah. Uh Luke Cage, you don't need to know about him before watching Jessica Jones because he's introduced in Jessica Jones. Yeah. So like yeah, it's it's it sort of it, uh, as a tone. Like when I watched series 2, I watched it quite late. I watched it last December. Mhm. And it just felt like I'd picked up something from before and gone boom and put it back on. And it, and it, it I don't mean tonally, yeah. just sort of. And season 3 is the same. You just slip back into this characters and this setting straight away. Is there um, is there more um, is there more sort of Easter eggy fan pleasy stuff tucked away in this series? Uh, there's a little bit, but not never to the point where it's distracting. Because I think um, yeah, the only series I can think of that actually kind of indulged in that a little was Daredevil series one. That's the only one. I can yeah, think of. yeah, and then like he never places paid a lot of and it names off. and like Stiltman's legs in the corner yeah. and things like that. Um, well, um, I can tell you something. Your boy Eric Gelden. Yes. Is a reimagining of of an existing Marvel character. Who is that existing Marvel character? Mindwave. Jesus. Mindwave. Who the My- fuck is Mindwave? Mindwave first appeared in Daredevil 133 in right, 76. Okay. okay. And was created by Marv Wolfman, Bob Brown, and Jim Mooney. The okay. character subsequently appears in Captain America 319 in 86, so ten years later. Jesus. In which he is killed by the Scourge of the Underworld. Who's this mother trucker, who I didn't remember it was until I looked at the picture. I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen him Oh, before. okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> his, here is Eric Gelden's entire 
character history. You ready for this? Okay. Three paragraphs. All right. Mindwave was a megalomaniac criminal possessing mental abilities heightened by his own inventions. He robbed banks in Europe and America until stopped by Daredevil and Yuri Geller. Sorry, what? Continue, please. <laughs> First I was like, that can't yeah. be right. So I clicked okay. the Uri Geller no. and... No, no it's yeah. that guy. Uri Geller, yeah. okay. At the time, oh, he utilised his think tank <laughs> capable of firing various oh, weapons. what? Okay, Google, Google just chimed in. We upset Google. Mindwave's um, mental abilities failed to warn him about the scourge of the underworld. Who killed him in the bar with no name massacre? That was in cap. Okay. Okay. So he literally literally just killed him in the back. He literally just pops (laughs) up briefly in another Captain America story that gets killed at the bar with no name. Brilliant. Brilliant. Mindwave was later among the 18 criminals, all murdered by the Scourge, to be resurrected by Hood using the power of Dormammu as part of a squad assembled to eliminate the Punisher. Ah, uh, sure. Mirage sure. disguises himself, Mindwave, and some of the other criminals as a team of Avengers trying to kill the Punisher. Sure. As the Punisher uncovers the ruse, he captures Mirage, kills Mindwave with a grenade, <laughs> and leaves him with a grenade as a booby uh, trap for the other criminals to find. Yeah, yeah. There's been a second Mindwave who uh, got involved in a Thunderbolt storyline, but... Uh, sure. Yeah, he's, sure. he's, te- he's telepathic and that's his thing, full I stop. I think we can uh, agree <laughs> that uh, this is a character who is best presented, divorced from that comic book history, um, and what they do with him in Jessica Jones Series 3 is actually really compelling. I think, I think he's a really good addition to, yeah. the, to the cast. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm just reading but I'm the character's s- powers in the book. He's got ESP, but it specifically only really works with technology and people who wear a helmet of his design so he can communicate with them. What? The think tank is exactly what you think it is. It is a tank called the think tank. Oh, no. Controlled by mental powers because someone else tries to get in it and manoeuvre it and it won't work. There's no controls. Um... He used it so to rob banks, though. By mental. Sure, sure. Oh, good lord! So there you go. Um, yeah, don't go into <laughs> season three of Jessica Jones expecting any of that shit because oh, you dear. ain't gonna get it. I apologize. <laughs> um, wow! Oh, that's wow! Magical. My life is infinitely more enriched for knowing that shit. Now you are that's aware. An obscure Marvel oh. bullshit. Mind mind um, well, although there's no ESP in Jessica Jones Season 3, there is another Netflix show that features it very heavily. Yes. And I've not finished this series yet. Yes. I am five episodes deep, so I'm, I'm more than halfway through. But you have seen it all. Tell me how you feel inside, deep, deep inside, about Stranger Things 3. I think it's summed up quite nicely by my friend Livy on Facebook. Yes. She put a status that I read earlier today that says, I think the Duffer Brothers had a bet to see how many near misses they could fit into Stranger Things Series 3. Oh! Now, I don't... In what sense? Well, you're five episodes deep. Yes. 
Lucy and I binged series three over two nights, yeah. and on night one, we watched episodes one to five. We we watched the same stretch as you in one chunk. No shit, yeah. We did, we did one to three, and then we did four and five. Yeah. So, but like we, you know, by the end of episode five, we were like, all right, a few little weird sort of things here, pacing wise, and some of the time, like the the, the time that the story takes place, makes no sense. It'd be one of those things they they've not that even they, though they've not thought certain, it through too much. Well, I mean, even though certain characters. Plots will take place over, over varying amounts of time. Mm. There'll be the desire to keep cutting back to them within an True, episode to but... make sure you don't lose focus on their plots. That's what it'll be. Oh, absolutely. But the, the only problem with that is the storylines are all interweaving going to a certain point. Okay. And also, one of those storylines involves the parental unit characters characters involved in the other storyline in a way that suggests, wait, you haven't thought about your children for two or three days? It's just kind of odd, but like that—that's a nit. That's a, very much a nitpicky thing. Okay. But after eight episodes, you do kind of go, actually, it's <laughs> yeah. weird. Yeah. When suddenly it's, oh my god, the kids! It's like, yeah, shouldn't you have thought that two, three days? Well, the ago? show isn't called Perfectly Normal Things. Is that's it? true. It's not called um, completely understandable and true things. I'll say this: I have no urge to revisit Stranger Things series two and three. Okay. I'm happy to have watched them, but to me, the essence of what I think works best of that show and that concept, the thing that makes me go, oh yeah, Strange Things, is very much rooted in its series one iconography and and tone. Um, Series three is excellent television. There is no doubt about that. It is brilliant genre TV. It is a great coming of age story arc. Um, Once again, the young performers who, as you pointed out before we recorded this, are now like, you know, young adult performers, some of them, like they are they are either about to turn 18 or just have in a couple of the cases yeah. for the older characters within the kids' groups. I'll, I'm, I'm um, going to check how old they are now, just because they're the, all playing around 14. Yeah, the, y- the youngest the youngest lot, so, you know, uh, Lucas and Elle and Mike and co, like they yeah. are, um, they are still all like 15, 16, 17. But in the show, like say, they're playing 14. So as a result, it's great that they are so good at what they do. Yes. Um, because you're spending a lot of time with these young leads, which can be grating, but from series one onwards, they set up, no, these guys know what they're doing. The problem is, <laughs> we're at that point in their lives where they're going through a lot of different things as characters. Yeah. Emotionally. Yeah. And by the end of the series, I don't have the same love for them that I used to. Because so many of them, when you look back at what they do over the course of this story, yeah, are just kind of dicks. Well, yeah, which which is a shame in a way because it doesn't leave you with that warm feeling by the time the series ends. So I much. feel like we Car- also got a sense of that last season. Oh, for particularly, sure, particularly, and not to say how we how we developed in this season, particularly with Mike. Yeah, um, I think Mike redeems himself a bit in this one by the end of it, to okay. be fair. By the end of the series, you're okay. like, do you know what, lad? You are learning about yourself and you're growing. Fair enough. Like, yeah. you've been a bit of a dick, but you get it. But some characters feel like they've regressed. Um, last series introduced us to Max. Yes. was a great addition to the cast, but it does feel like this year, um, Max has been relegated just to the, the bitchy best friend supporting character. Yeah. Which is a big shame because 
there's more going on there, especially because part of the plot of this series involves a family member of hers being very freaking closely linked to what's happening this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. It I... feels like they don't give the actor enough to, to the time to indulge in that, and that's a shame. Uh, Lucas feels like a complete regression this series. You think? Lucas just feels like a moron and that's his character. I don't... Like, that's his entire character. I don't get moron from Lucas at all. Wait till you watch episode seven. Okay, alright. That's all I'm saying. It's not a specific thing he does, but it's just every bit of Lucas' dialogue in episode seven is meant to be played for... (laughs) Look at this lughead, eh? Look at this fucking idiot. Right down to... At the beginning of that episode, I noticed in the, the little Netflix thing that comes up in the top corner, it says, like... Um, rated 15 graphic violence this that and the other yeah. in a couple of them it, it has an additional caption that says includes product placement and I thought well that's odd to kind of specify that because yeah. we, assume, we assume that there's some of that going on in, in you know this sort of sponsored well even, even if just recognisable brands there's a lot of coke stuff in there aha okay Wait till you've watched episode 7 so really yeah it, okay. it, it's, a, it, it's a moment which involves Lucas and that brand of soft drink that makes you go, this isn't funny because it feels like it's been put in here. It's oh, really weird. So it's really weird. But anyway, the basic plot for Strange Things Series 3, after the events uh, taking place in Hawkins in Series 1 and 2, with an uh, interdimensional gateway to the upside down and government facilities researching into it and eventually seeing sense and closing that shit down. But the Mind Flayer! Yeah, the Mind Flayer, this giant spider-like being looming in the clouds last series in the Upside Down, clearly trying to make its way to our world in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also uh, Elle, a child who's, you know, part of experiments and she's grown up around it all and she has these sort of telekinetic abilities and the ability to sort of use a gateway into the Upside Down to peer through, peer through reality and connect to other people. Like, they're all finally kind of living... A normalish life. This is about a year on from the yeah. events of the last series. Elle is living with her uh, adoptive father, Chief Hopper, uh, who is once again played by the excellent. I fucking love David Harbour. David so Harbour, who, who it's so nice to see him in something a good and b where he's allowed to be good. Yeah, <laughs> after Hellboy earlier this year. Um, yeah, he's. And Hopper, Hopper has some really obvious tropey story arc stuff at the start yeah. of the series, which is a little yeah. boring. But then he has a scene with Carrie Elwes in an office that just makes you go, "There he is!" Oh yeah, of and course, Ca- Carrie Elwes is in this. Continuing the tradition of casting eighties icons <laughs> in the series. Carrie Elwes is in this series one. Series one, we get a big old. The helping, of course, of Winona Ryder in the main role as oh, Joyce. Series so two good. gave us Sean Astin as the uh, the late great Bob, bless him. Um, Bob newbie superhero. Oh my god, that picture! Oh, and, so um, good. And series three this time brings us freaking Princess Bride star himself, Carrie Elwes, as as the mayor of Hawkins, who is the slimiest of twats, uh, and he's so great. Good. And also, doesn't he look super trim? He looks. I did not recognize him at first. I think. And then I was like, I, I saw his face. I was like, "Is that?" And then it was only when he spoke. I went, "Oh my god, it is yeah, Carrie Elwes!" Sort of lengthened. His face is nineties Carrie Elwes face. It's very strange. Like, think of him in Robin Hood and think of him now, and that's yeah. the same person. But then you look at Carrie Elwes in like the late nineties, two thousands, early twenty tens, and and it's like, really? No, because he sort of filled out a little more in his face. But it's it also... weird. But I I wonder if that was on. I wonder if it was on purpose. Obviously, so like, oh, I'm making this. Oh, it's a reference to the eighties. Like me being cast in it is sort of a nod. 
to that era in a way. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to try and look a bit more like I did in the 80s. But also, I think you just... warthog-faced buffoon. The fact that he spends... <laughs> the fact that he spends all this, the... Most of the time that I've seen him on screen in this series, just with this big, shitty grin. Yes. But it just changes his face. Occasionally, um, aided by the the visual of a giant expensive cigar as well. God, love it. My God, just the moment I saw him love with a cigar, it. the moment the moment in was it episode one or two where you see him snip the butt of the cigar, and the yep. thing, I was like, "That's going to come into play." <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so, so uh, uh, the, the, you know, life is life is going on, but. Uh, Mike and L are now dating, and that's throwing Hopper for a loop. He's getting he's <laughs> angry dad territory, which, for, to varying degrees, is success for me. Some of it's yeah. really entertaining and relatable, and some of it is just sort of like, like, dude, come on, like you, you are being too much. Hopper is one of those characters, though, who is known for going too far. Well, by the end of the series, his emotional state is touched on a bit more in a way yeah. where retroactively it makes that first couple of episodes feel a little less yeah. cartoonish. But it is sort of like, I don't know, it, it got me off on the wrong foot with him this series. I, I disliked him quite a bit after that first couple of episodes, because like, I see where you're coming from, but you, he's, he's you a... and Mike, specifically, have been through so much. Yeah. There should be a little bit more of a mutual respect for each other there. But that's also down to the characterization choices for Mike as well. Yeah. Um, and Elle as well, a little bit. Yeah. Um so all that's all that's a pop in. Lucas and and Max are a bit of a thing. Dustin's just come back from <laughs> from a camp, but it's summertime's just starting. When do these camps take the kids away? But anyway, Dustin's I coming think they back. Break up in like sort of Juneish, I guess. Yeah. Maybe and he's been away for a few weeks because it's specifically set over the course of like the second, third, and fourth of July yeah. story. Although, like we said, continuity would have you believe that maybe some of it's set longer, even though yeah, never mind. Um, Don't worry about it. Is, that is their big. I think that's the biggest flaw of the story structure for the series is that it does make you go, "Wait, what?" Sometimes I haven't. It hasn't bothered me yet. Well, that's because you're a happy man. Okay, you're a happy man. You 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 didn't make a tweet about Little Mermaid. <laughs> oh God, that's very true. I'm so miserable. That's very true. Um, all's well. Everything's lovely. Uh, but the girlfriend thing's kind of thrown for a loop. Will's missing. Just the sitting down, playing D and D aspect of their lives. Um, Joyce is getting ready to move. So she and her sons, Jonathan and Will, will be leaving Hawkins soon. Jonathan and Nancy are interning at the local newspaper, uh, being harassed on the regular by a wonderful group of character actors, including Jake Busey. Fucking fantastic. Um, Which is great. Uh, And, you know, things things are happening. Steve, bless him, Steve Harrington has got a job working at Ahoy, Scoops Ahoy. Which is a, a kiosk uh, alongside uh, someone from his high school that he never really knew till the job. Who she's uh, still in is, high school. She's the oh, and I think she's just finished. Uh, later on, I think they allude to he's young. She's younger than him. Yeah, but they allude they allude to it uh, okay. toward the end of the series that I think she's just left as well. But like, because he's been out a couple of years now, hasn't he? He's been out of high school. Series one was his last year because he wasn't in it last year. I don't think. No, no. Series, series two is when they all graduate. Oh, oh god, time because, because this is Jonathan and. Nancy's summer job before right. college. That makes sense. Uh, whereas Steve hasn't gotten into any colleges and he's doing this and sort of yeah. playing it off as his choice. Um, so Steve Harrington, once the cocky, twatty, dickhead cool kid from series one, is now dressed up as Donald Duck scooping ice cream. After his uh, 
a brilliant character development in series two. Which continues in this. Once Steve and Dustin reunite in like episode two, oh, it is a joyous moment. So uh, but he's, his co-worker is Robin, played by probably the best addition to the series. It's Maya Hawke. Okay. Who is the daughter of uh, Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. And now that I've said that... That's why she looks familiar. Now that I've said that, you can see it. I really can. She's, I really can. She's a great addition to the show. Um, and the dynamics going on with that lot are great. Uh, they then start to have a story arc. Those two and Dustin. And I can't remember the actress's name or the character's name. But uh, Lucas's younger sister. Uh, Erica. Erica. You, you can't, can't spell America. <laughs> without Erica. That is, that, that is, that is bizarrely correct. <laughs> She's such a shit in this. And it's fabulous. She's entertaining as hell. So... There's different sects going on, and basically we split off into three separate narratives. One mm-hmm. is the Scoops Ahoy crew uncovering what appears to be a, a Russian sting operation happening because around the mall they the were Because it's the 80s. And the new, the new Starcourt Mall has, has come in and, <clears throat> and cleared out downtown. Hopper and Joyce end up on the trail of some other Russian activity that takes them out of town for a little while, mm-hmm. trying to investigate and uncover what it means for everybody. So those two plots seem to be completely separate from the Stranger Things ongoing story we've had so far. Mm-hmm. But they will all lead back to the same place, because our uh, sort of central is the kids dealing with the fact that the Mind Flayer is not only not dead, it's not quite in the upside down. Part of it, or at least its consciousness, consciousness made its way into Hawkins and into this reality. Yeah. And it's building itself a thorn. <sighs> Using uh, some sort of zombie-style corruption, 80s, you know, horror trope things going on of, of people being I... possessed by an entity, starting with last year's uh, resident cunt on a stick... Billy, Max's oldest yeah. older brother. Yeah. Um, step brother. I can't remember the actor's name, but he's in, he's Dacre in, Montgomery. What's his name? Dacre Montgomery. Dacre Montgomery, uh, aka the Red Ranger. Yeah, yeah. He is so good in this. He's very good because, like, series one, supernatural threat was the was the the villain, but Steve was kind of the sort of the 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 second antagonist of series one. Yeah. Until he sort of comes around and is less of a selfish dick by the end of the series. Last year, Billy was very much our second level antagonist. This year, they put him centre stage. And he plays it so well. Billy's in there somewhere. But he is a vessel for the Mind Flayer. And the actor was named Dacre thingy. Dacre Montgomery is... He's, he's reveling in getting to play... Someone who we already knew was threatening and unstable. Yeah. But now someone who's threatening, unstable, and has something else steering his body like it's a freaking think tank. Can I, <laughs> can I just say, I am <laughs> loving the creature effects and body horror in this series. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what's kind of nice about this. Like, yes, there's a Russian conspiracy about a, you know an underground base and all this stuff, but this one is the most low-key plot of the three series in yeah. terms of the threat is self-contained over a couple of days and only really involves one big visual effect creature. 
like which obviously series one did, but series one had the organization, it had Eleven's mystery, yeah. about stuff about telekinesis and and the town uncovering it. Last series had the stuff about the contaminated uh, tunnels and the, 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 the rotten fruit, the pumpkins. You had all the creepy like the vine effects and and the the blending of the upside down with our world and certain sequences. You had that sort of stuff, but this series is very much these people or these people or these people are investigating a thing. And eventually, all three of the things are going to take place on the same night in the same place. And that's it. It's their own little tangents leading back to one spot. Yeah. The characters drive the story. Which, like, is, which is what this show's strength has kind of always been. Yeah. Series one. Series 1's more the mystery that we go on with these endearing characters. Series yeah. 2 survived off of us liking being with these characters going yeah. through the motions. The, the problem that Series 3 gives to me overall... Um, after ha- especially after having finished it, because after watching the first five, I was like, "Yeah, cool, cool." My only real problem with it at that point was just the pacing. I was like, well, it felt yeah. like it could be tighter. Um, I don't know. I feel it's been, I feel like it's been rattling along along at a good old pace. Well, but by, by the end of eight, I sort of I, I'll be interested to see how you feel when you finished it. By the end of eight, I was like, "Yeah, this could have been six, or this could have been two like films, like okay. two Netflix movies. It could have been like two near two hour films, and you could have told the story." Okay. Because for a lot of the characters around episode five, episode six, and for chunks of seven, they're just sort of in one location waiting. And it's cool to spend time with them, but when the threat is shown to be escalating, yeah, you kind of want shit to get done. There is a moment in the eighth episode, which I had a quick peek on Twitter because I was curious as to what the reaction was, and it has... It's done what I thought it would have done, which is it's divided people right down the middle. There is oh. a moment in the eighth episode that is... Uh, a moment of really of great like levity and humor slap bang in the middle of a very tense section which i think works as a what the hell kind of moment but based on how invested you are in the peril it will either be a, a fun momentary weird little thing that happens okay or something that makes you go, for fuck's sake, just get on with it. Get on with it. What's going on? FFS. Because it lasts just a little too long. Yeah. Uh, I sort of fall in the middle. Like, I get it, and it's a cute character beat. But I was also like, really? Like, right now? We're, we're, we're at the, the end of Act 3. Right now? Really? <laughs> like, people's yes, no. lives are in danger? If are we seriously now, doing this? When? Um... Uh, without giving anyway any spoilers, it would act as a really nice end to the series. Um, the lack of involvement of the agency uh, of the previous two seasons and it being very much self-contained to our our protagonists yeah. dealing with the threat uh, means that it feels more like an epilogue to the story that was seasons one and two. Okay. If they chose to end it here. There is a thread at the end of it that suggests they don't want to end it here and that they have another story uh, that would continue to focus on something that by the end of this series, they haven't actually explained. That sort of storytelling annoys me a bit because it's the whole, well, we'll find out next year. Oh, yeah, oh, we didn't, well, we sort of found out, but what about this thing? We'll find out next, like, no, no, no. Tells me some self-contained stories that make me want more, not demand me making me want. Well, I think they've they've got some sort of plan. Well, whether it's for three or four, I don't know. Well, the Duffer Brothers and Netflix are involved in a lawsuit currently with the yeah. other original co-creator, who basically has proved 
that it's 90% his baby. And he's not he's either not earning enough or he's not credited at all because of course the show creates create uh, credits it to the Duffer brothers. Yeah. This guy is not one of the Duffer brothers. He's in a thingy with them right now that could mean if he wins the show would either have to be pulled or production of future work on it be pulled or both or both. Now that's a crossroad moment because I want I want morality to win here. Like, I, I work in a creative industry. I don't like it when people steal the people's shit and make it their own. But it also... pretend it's their own. So I'm like, yeah, give this guy his due. But I would rather his due be negotiated that he gets a shitload of financial compensation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because and, you don't and... want to erase the work of the crew, the other oh, writers, the and cast. And I don't think he does either. I don't think he no. wants to take a dump on what has come forth, but... It's the idea that... That's just sort of a consequence of, of copyright law. Someone stole his baby and then, um, like, paraded it around in daft yeah. outfits and, and he had no say in what happened. Yeah. So I kind of get it, but it's also that thing of... I wonder if the thread at the end of the series saying, huh, huh, maybe more, huh, is there so that they can... The Duffer Brothers can create a whirlwind of demand. Yes. Yeah. To steer it toward whatever happens in the court case there is still a show that they are in charge of that continues. So it's an, it's an odd flavor when you know the outside politics of it all, but also the scenes before the, cause it, it's not, a, it's sort of a post credit scene almost that gives you this hmm, more could be going on. Yeah. Which is a shame because before the credits roll on episode eight, it's a really nice button to end on. So it's like, huh? Okay. Do I want more? I'm not sure I do. I think I'm happy with what we have. Uh, and like I said, I don't I don't have an urge to revisit 2 and 3. Um, beyond, say, like, oh, I'm going to YouTube the scene when Steve and Dustin reunite. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but I would revisit Series 1 uh, again. Yeah, I'm thinking of revisiting Series 1. Um, I th- I, I'd be interested to find out what you guys think. If you're a fan of Stranger Things, I'd be interested to see what, what, where you fall... On, on what this series has done, but it, it, it is it is odd. There is a lot of missed opportunities this series, and there is a lot of, I feel, uh, misjudged emphasis on things that aren't as interesting as they think it is, which could be time given to stuff that works better. I mean, I will say that I find Nancy and Jonathan to be the least compelling part See, of I, I did last the series, entire show. I did last series, and I did this, and it's not to the actors either. Like They're just given sod all to work with yeah really. i just don't think that, that particular section of the plot is particularly but, the, but but luckily that's that's a fourth branch that then folds back into the the mike and the gang branch eventually in terms of where the, the yeah. narratives go yeah. so it, it almost feels like a necessary step but they also get given the coolest set pieces with the practical and digital effects this series which are nice. Mm. You've not got any. You're not got like minor spoiler alert, folks. You've not got any any demo whatever's wandering around. The mind flayer is the focus this year, and the mind flayer's corporeal form in our world is made from the most fucking grotesque thing you could imagine. Especially, uh, you're about to watch episode six. Yes. Right. I'm not giving that away, but it's gonna it's gonna slip through something at one point. Like it's gonna slink through something. Okay. Just, just when you see what sort of the, the remains look like of bits of this thing, okay, I'm that, down. That's I'm the down. shot. This series that made me go, Ugh. Ugh. yeah. Like, oh, and good lord! It's had a, it's had a sense of that. It's had a feel of that since the first season. Mm. 
the, the oh, grossness yeah. of the upside <clears throat> down. So, but yeah, yeah. Uh, cool, cool, <laughs> cool, everybody. It's the the Stranger Things. Huh? Winona Ryder is great and oh. tiny. She's whenever, very whenever, small. Whenever Joyce and Hopper stood next to each other, it's like you look, either you look extra tall because she's really small, or you look extra small because he's really tall. And then you realise, no, hang on, in real life, she's like five foot one. And he's like six foot five. Yes. That's why you both make each other look even yes. more of what your height is. Um, well, <laughs> on the subject of TV shows, oh. we got an email from Sean. Sean? And Sean... Sean? Uh, and I thought this was worth a, a deeper deeper sort of a conversation. Deep cuts. Uh, so Deep this holes. comes in from Sean. He says, hello, man, Chris. Hello, Sean, so my this old year, friend. This year, there has been quite a few popular shows ending or being cancelled, such as Game of Thrones... Uh, Arrow has its final season coming up. Netflix has cancelled its Marvel shows. And I'm currently watching the final season of iZombie. Uh, so what TV shows do you think ended in the most satisfying way or wrapped up the best? The obvious <laughs> ones that I can think of is Breaking Bad, Only Fools and Horses, Two Endings. Oh yeah, uh, two. Well, some shows, some shows end well because they get it to do it twice. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think Sense8 wrapped up pretty well and Star Trek T- T- TNG and DS9 ended well. Also, what TV show do you think was cancelled too soon or did a poor job of ending its run? I think of Dark Matter, a pretty good sci-fi show about six people who awake from stasis on a starship with amnesia and have to work out for they are who they are. It ran for three thirteen episode seasons and ended on a cliffhanger because it wasn't a sci-fi original and they had no incentive to renew it. Was that also, also the plot of um, Stargate? No, the, the next. Yeah, wasn't that the plot of that originally as well? Like they just I'm were on that show. They're like, sure. why are we the one with Robert Carlyle in the lead role? I'm not sure. Which was like, this um, is wonderful. Cast cast the kooky, quirky Scottish bloke in the lead. Why? Um, not? I had also just binge watched through it just after season three had aired in the UK to this cancellation news. Uh, so yeah, TV shows that wrapped up well or wrapped up poorly. Well, I know I'm gonna say. For wrapped up poorly and disappointing, um, the X Files, because they keep not doing it, and I, I didn't even bother with the season eleven finale. Wow, I just didn't. I didn't and that's make like, it all the way well, that's like 11. your top three TV show, and it's only like seven seven episodes, season eleven. And you couldn't. I, I, like, I got to the fourth one. I was like, well, this is the high point. I'm just going to stop watching it here. Was it season ten where you said like it's? Fine. There's one episode in the middle that's really good, and then the rest of it's just fine. the rest of it is kind of bad. Mm, like this damn. one amazing. So, um, season ten has Mulder and Scully meet the Wear Monster, which <laughs> guest stars um, Reese Darby. Yeah, and is absolutely up there with one of the best episodes this show has ever done. Wait, is Reese Darby the Wear Monster in question? Yeah, is that the second time he's played a werewolf? Then pop, pop. Mm. does he swear? Mm. I'm just going to leave that there. Okay. Um, we're werewolves, not swearwolves. Remember I said we're monster. Ah, we're true, true. Um, and then season <laughs> 11 has uh, The Lost Art of Forehead Sweat, which... That's a great title. Has another, has another amazing guest star, whose name I'm going to look him very quickly, because he's... Um, you'll have seen him in loads of stuff. Uh, when You see, you might not know his name, but you'll see his face and go, oh, he's in, he does lots of sketch, uh, like is little he, sketch is bits. He in, is, and, he in the, is he in the Hall of Fame for... Oh, hey, it's that guy. It's that kind of. Um, <laughs> he is the. It's the guy who you know the what if Google was a person sketches. Online. Oh God, yes, he's in those. Yes, I know what you he's, mean. He's yeah. the, the Google older fellow with the beard. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, I'm just gonna look up his name. He's really him. funny in those. That's a college humor co-producer. He's really it? funny in pretty much everything I've seen him in, um, including 
The Lost Heart of Forehead Sweat. Oh no, I watched a couple more episodes of that. Um, Brian Husky. Um, yes, I recognise that face. Yeah. You'll see him in all sorts of shit. Um, all kinds of shit. Yeah, I know. And yeah, that is, that's, again, up there with one of the best episodes of the show. What the hell's the plot of The Lost Heart of Forehead but, Sweat? Um, it's about the man. It's a, it, <laughs> How do you call something that? Like, it's about the Mandela effect, right? And the idea that the history of the show that we've watched might not be actually what really happened. Okay. Um, but it's played for laughs, like it's played for comedy. Both, both more than us going to meet the Monster and the Lost Out of Forehead Sweat are what the show would term comedy episodes. Yeah, I, I do love. I do love it. I do love it when sort of scary genre fiction. I mean, does it's that. A, it's a show that. I like the Buffy one, Jonathan. Yes. Is that yes. a superstar? Is the um, episode. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the show <laughs> With is... the different title sequence and everything. It's so good. The, the X-Files has... Um, <laughs> it, it, it is mostly tongue-in-cheek and sort of dryly funny oh. when it's being serious, but the episodes where they really push the comedy uh, tend to be among the show's best because, again, it is the juxtaposition of gross scary horror stuff and really really funny nonsense yeah um so yeah but then to the point where but i but past that episode i think i watched like one more and then i just couldn't push through the garbage that chris carter was pumping out like chris carter created the x-files but he's also the worst x-files writer yeah so and then but even before the revival came along the season nine ending was just terrible like, it's just this two-hour-long clip show, basically, that ends on a sort of non-ending cliffhanger. It's just dreck. And the show should have ended at season seven, and it was going to end at season seven, originally. What changed the um, lines? Money. <clears throat> yeah, it usually does it. Um, and success. But yeah, it's... The X-Files outlived its welcome. Not to say, not to say, there's two episodes, one in season 10, one in season 11, worth watching, but the rest of those seasons you can just kind of fucking ignore. Fair enough. So, um, go for it. Buffy's one that I always cite as ending quite well, because it ends twice. Yeah. Like, yeah, series yeah. five yeah. again was the original ending. Which I think would have been an amazing finale, because I remember that going out. The gift like, is wonderful, yeah. What? So, series five was the first series I watched in its entirety on broadcast. Yeah. Um... Because the rest of it, I'd, I'd watch the repeats and, and, and stuff over the years. Um, I remember watching The Gift go out on BBC Two, which would have been like a week after its American broadcast. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is so. This was also pre like pre easily accessible. Everyone has it in their house. Internet, yeah, as well. I didn't so, have the internet at the time, so like you know, um, ten year old me wasn't. Uh, what the heck is that? Something? Yeah, Lisa. <laughs> ten year old me wasn't. Um, you know, reading up on... We weren't reviews. going on the forums and sharing our opinions of it. But uh, The Gift is a great ending for Buffy. And but I really, really like it. It didn't end up being the ending, so... Because Warner Brothers ponied up cash and went, yeah. we'll have it for another two seasons on our network. And Fox went, Joss, do you want to do this? And just went, not really. Oh, hang on, actually. Yeah. And then he and the writers were like, you know all that shit that we wanted to do? What if we use this framing device to make it happen? And then they brought us Series 6 and 7. Series 6, which is probably the most eh overall series, yeah. but has some of the highest highs in it as well. Yeah, there are some great Season 6 episodes. And and the, the, the Season 6 finale, like, 
you know, like, our big bad was not our big bad. Like, the trio were just three misguided in the case of Warren, uh, one horrible person. Yeah. But Willow was was our finale all oh, along. Very, very um, good. And, and again, Grizzly. I think that was the first time I'd ever seen someone outside of Predator get flayed. Yeah. It was like, oh my god. Yeah. Because remember the BBC Two edits were always like, the episodes were like 35 minutes long instead of 45. Yeah. Because they trimmed out like the violence and certain dialogue bits and pieces. I remember even on BBC Two they couldn't quite completely cut around the flayed Warren. No. So even then I was like, oh my god, he's, he's been ripped to pieces. Um... And then Series 7 happened. Series 7, again, has got some stuff that's like, uh, like Buffy having a lot of responsib- extra responsibility shoulders onto her was, a, was a, an interesting concept. But it meant that she spent most of the series just being a moaning mother figure for everybody. But then by the end of Chosen, the last episode, the last episode of Buffy is a doozy. Which I still haven't seen. It's so good. I know exactly what happens, but I've just not actually sat down and watched it's it. It's amazing. I love you. No, you don't. But thanks for saying it. Mm-hmm. It's... Oh, it's so good. And the last shot is just perfect. Um, and set up the, the excellent continuity um, uh, that ran into the Dark Horse Season 8. All that's finished recently, and now Boom Studios have the comic rights to Buffy, and they've started a new series called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I bought Volume 1 of. Yes. Which is basically Ultimate Buffy. So, it's the Season yeah. 1 setting again. It's based on the characters and stuff you love, but they're starting it from scratch. That's kind of like what IDW did with Power Rangers. Yeah. Yeah, same sort yeah. of thing, because uh, they've got an Angel series as well. Yeah. That coincides with the Buffy one and starts um, a week before the events of the Buffy one does. Mm. So it's not Angel spinning out of the Angel TV show. It's Angel's comic based on his POV from the moment he arrives in Sunnydale as we learn more about why, who he is, why he is, and what's happened. Interesting. It It's good. Like, it is It is some good shit. If you're a fan of if you're a fan of the show, but you like don't want to sort of try and follow an, a, a much longer extended continuity, this is a great yeah. way to sort of recapture the vibe of the thing you fell in love with and yes. see new stories. Um, uh, other one, Buffy's got a nice one. Sopranos. I've not watched the show in its entirety, but I have seen a chunk of the last series and I've seen the finale. Well, I, this also came up in if you've seen uh, Lindsay Ellis's recent Game of Thrones video. I've, so I've the, finally watched it. Yes, the Sopranos yeah. finale comes up in that, and it, I can only imagine what I would have been like watching that finale. I think she words it quite well because it's like the the way it is shot. That final scene alone, it implies a lot more than what's just happening. Yeah, so it, it's very much a it is left open to the audience, which is how Angel ends. Angel ends yes. with them in that alleyway. The, the three or four that have survived about to face down. It's a, a, essentially. What? Hordes of hell, including a fucking dragon. What TV tropes would... And it um, ends with them going, charging into fight. It ends. What what TV tropes would, would term a Bolivian army ending? Yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, but that's that's great, because it sort of is like, it ends on the status quo. Yeah. It ends on, yeah, this story, this story never ends. Um, sometimes you get the best endings due to unfortunate circumstances. It's like anything. Angel, they did want to do more. Their plan was to do more, but yeah. it wasn't picked up. So as a result, they rewrote the last two episodes during production of the season. Yeah. Um, and Sarah Jane Adventures ended way before its time. Uh, they had shot series four and half of series five um, in one block uh, with the intention of giving Liz Sladen a break because not many people knew, but some people knew internally that she needed time out. And of course, now we know it's because she was uh, having treatment for cancer. 
but um, the intention was to have like a year and a bit off and then come back and shoot the second half of Series 5 and Series 6. Yeah. Uh, instead, we only got, uh, you know, what was shot, because she passed away in 2011. We got Series 5 in 2011, which was the three stories they had shot. And it ends with, I think it's an unused monologue for a wrap-up for an episode. Yeah. A uh, voiceover that wraps it up that basically talks about how the story never ends. And it's performed by Liz Sladen. And it just sort of... It weird, like For a show that had to end prematurely due to very unfortunate circumstance, they found a way to make the show end in a way that not only honoured her and her legacy, but also was like, yeah, this this isn't the end of the adventures of these people. Don't like, but, but not in like a, you know, you just don't get to see them. Just to know, don't you worry. They're still, like, the Bannerman Road Gang are still going to carry on. Yeah. Don't you worry about it. And it just sort of ends it on that reassuring note of, thanks for joining us on this journey. The journey's not over. Yeah. Like, see you around. And it's like, oh, there's so, not like a, there might be more. Just a, no, you're not going to see any more, but there is more. Oh, Chris. Yeah? Do you remember the multiple cliffhangers that class ended on? <laughs> Jesus wept. Uh, Jesus wept. I'm going to mention the show that I've actually only recently watched. And I was talking to you about it before we started. I've just watched the the new Netflix dub of Neon Genesis Evangelion. Yes. Could you say Um, that uh, three times faster in a French accent? Neon Genesis Evangelion. Beautiful. Um, (laughs) And I'm not a big... Sounds like a bottled water company. I'm not a big anime guy, but I've heard so much about how influential the show uh, has been. And with Netflix doing the new dub of it, I was like, oh, I'll give it a shot. Fucking great show. Got some problematic stuff in it. Because of course it has. Because it's a fucking anime show from the mid-90s. Um, but the ending is famously fucking weird. Mm. And ambiguous and vague and sort of happens. Uh, by all accounts, due to a troubled production. They later go back and finish it. I've not watched the um, the end of Evangelion uh, sort of duology of the, the two extended episodes that are at the actual ending. Um, but yeah, the, 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 in terms of that, the, all the stuff that's built up in that show and how what actually happens in those last two episodes, it's just such a hard left swerve that sort of comes out of nowhere. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, so that's that's one that's worth that's worth mentioning. Um, but with two options, as well. yeah. Just, like that's a rare one. Where well, it's like you get to experience it twice. Yes, I need to watch the actual <laughs> the, the end of Evangelion, as it's called. Um, end of Ava, I think it is. Um, I need to actually watch that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think um, there are some shows that uh, one that comes to mind is um, Dark Skies. Which is a, a sort of X Files counterpart from the nineties. Yeah. Which is about um How did that end? The sort of period it ended on a cliffhanger because they didn't get renewed. Oh um, but it ended on a and it was sort of like it's Majestic Twelve of the sort of real men in black scenario, but there's actually been an infiltration by aliens already hmm. and we're sort of at war already, but it's underneath and it was all like sixties period stuff. But it ended on a cliffhanger and never got renewed, so I was like, Oh damn it. That Sometimes though that that gives you more yeah. to work with as a viewer, like you remember it more fondly because you kind of you know how open it is. But also, but then again, definitive endings, yeah. Be, like Breaking Bad is to me one of the best endings. It's just so good. And Vince Gilligan, the show creator, has said specifically, he was like, "Yeah, I, that was where I wanted to end it." 
some things are different in the last episode than what I imagined four or five years prior. But that's because the journeys that we went on throughout yeah. the seasons kind of shaped things a bit differently. But Heisenberg specifically ends up exactly where I always imagined him ending up uh, in the exact same context. And, and his arc, and it's like, damn. And again, it works so well to the point where I've, I've never I've never watched Better Call Saul because I think I'd like to spend time with, with um, you know, Bob Odenkirk's character again. Yeah. But the notion that other characters come into it, I kind of don't want to meet them again. But you also know where they're all going. As well. And I think that's why I'm a bit like, eh. Like, uh-huh. I, I sort of, I don't want that diminished return of maybe learning too much about them because what I learned of them and the time I spent with them in Breaking Bad was so beautifully contained. But I don't know, I'll give it a go at some point. Yeah, uh, I Justice, think it's good. Justice League Unlimited. Oh, of course! Ends on that two-parter, which is a Batman, um, Batman Beyond story. That then segues yeah. back into a Justice League story because it's Terry McGuinness interrogating an elderly Amanda Waller about something. Oh. And it ties back in, like the two series collide and tie in. So it, it's sort of a. Because they didn't know what the future of Batman Beyond would be at that point. They knew it, there wasn't any more season in the pipeline, but it hadn't been canned. So they were like, this is our way of giving a finale to both, if need be. And it's really well done. And it works... It, that that hijacking of another show in the series works so much better than Enterprise's finale, Star Trek Enterprise, which just which sort of... Hijacks, which just sort of shits yeah. all over Enterprise yeah. by giving you a next-gen episode yeah. about two of the characters watching Enterprise. Now, it's impressive from a production point of view of like, oh my god, this straight up just looks like we're in the middle of an, an early 90s episode of Next Generation. This yeah. is insane. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like... Star Trek Enterprise is not very good, but its fifth series is where it kind of... They knew they weren't getting it again. They knew it wasn't coming back. Yeah. They had for a while, that was the end of Star Trek. Yeah, but they they knew Enterprise was canned. Like, they knew they weren't going to be given the opportunity to be renewed. So in Series 5, they try stuff that they wouldn't dare have tried were there more to tell. Yeah. And as a result, it's the most entertaining part of that show's history. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's like, oh my god, that's great. Like, they go really deep into, like, Data's creator stuff and and, and the sort of nutso shit going on with him and the stuff that eventually leads to the character lore and things like that. It's like, this is, this is mental! And the last episode's kind of like that in a way, but it sort of also is derailed because you're like, oh, that goodwill that they've earned over the series is almost put in the back seat to allow us to reminisce about a show that we remember fondly from before instead. Yeah. Whereas at least Batman Beyond and Justice League Unlimited were going out at the same time. Yes. So, you know, it's it's an odd one. Enterprise has to be one of those then, doesn't it? Yeah. Enterprise, yeah. It's, it's, it's an oddie. One could say the whole show was a disappointment, in a way. Chuck has a good finale, from what I can remember. Like, it ends on the right note for everybody. Yeah. Like, it was one of those where when I finished it, I was like, yeah, all right. Cool. I'm glad. Oh, I, I'm right. glad I took this journey. McGee, please don't make anything else because this is the only thing you've made that I like. <laughs> like don't make any other thing, please. No more things. Trying to think of other, to think of other narratives with finales that either hit um, or really miss. There, there are a couple of like British original sci-fi shows that I watched when I was younger. I've not watched them for years, but I remember being very sort of nonplussed by the way they ended. The first one was a. Was a Limited series hmm. called um, Invasion Earth. 
Yeah, which I recall that. ended on a very, very bleak note of, like, <laughs> the main characters have sort of been possessed by the alien threat and this huge tower uh, that's actually a breach in our dimension is unstoppable, so we're gonna nuke it, and that's where the show ends. Oh. <laughs> um, and then oh. the other one was an ITV show called The Last Train. Yeah, I want to ring Which, well. uh, basically, is like a bunch of people by accident survive a meteorite impact by being cryogenically frozen on a train. Um, and then, but basically the whole thing is like, they've got to make their way to the vault where the survivors went, where people went before the impact. But whilst on the um, train, I'm guessing. No, no, no. That's the, the, oh, the, I thought it was going to be like derivative the, of Snowpiercer. The title something. is like, they're on the last train. Okay. They were on the last train when it hit. Ah, makes so, sense. But they didn't know it was the last train, obviously. Because only one person on the train knew that it was... So what's the premise of the show? It's Red Dwarf, but on a train, kind of. Yeah, no. It's <laughs> but, it's a, but it's a serious sci-fi. But they're basically travelling across... Red Dwarf course. serious sci-fi. I, I get, but like, a serious show about sci-fi. Content. Shut yes. up! <laughs> but they're, dra- they're travelling across post-apocalyptic Britain. Okay. And... So just normal Britain, but slightly less cues. Yes. But as it... <laughs> and, the occasional, much... and the occasional fire in the middle of the street. But as the show goes on, you realise that it's been way longer than they Before. think it has. Red Dwarf. Yeah. No, no, it's not on that scale. It's like, instead of it being five years, it's been like 40, 50 years. Oh, yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's not quite three, three million, but... And, I, and you know what? I actually can't remember how it ended, but I remember being like, oh, <laughs> that was... Oh, well, that, that happened, I guess. Some shows, um, again, don't necessarily have like an arc, but they make sure that if they know the last episode's going to be their last, they sort of do something with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Batman, the Brave and the Bold. Has yeah. a really nice finale yeah, yeah. Um, because they just knew it wasn't being recommissioned. Warner Brothers and a lot of a lot of animation places over the nineties uh, and two thousands, Fox Kids, Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon, uh, cancel franchise shows during the production of a series because they intend to redo it very soon after. Yeah, because the main profit from those shows is the merchandise. And if the merchandise sales start to slow yes. down a little, instead of creating cool new merch based on the properties. They scrap the property and then remake it and release merch that looks new. Yeah. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is one of them that gets killed off and rebooted like every five years. It happened last year, didn't it? Yeah. The Nickelodeon... Got rid of TMNT, uh, which was great, and replaced it with Rise of the TMNT. Yeah. Which is, again, stylistically, animation-wise, is nice. I've not dived into it yet, but uh, it was a shame to lose the previous iteration because it was... Probably the best yet. Actually. Yeah, I I, really, I remember really enjoying what I saw of that. With a really, with a really basic CGI series one of we only ever go out in the streets at nights. So there are less characters yeah. in the shot, but then yeah. after that they get really experimental with the visual. Series three in particular, like series two ends with their defeat and they fucking yeah. retreat and get out of there. And series three opens with them licking their wounds in a cabin in the middle of nowhere, like trying to figure out what to do next, which turns into like a five or six sort of mini arc of horror-themed pastiches and homages. Pretty fucking Including good. a Nightmare on Elm Street one with with Nightmare Beavers. Yeah. Just like, what? Two of which are voiced by Robert Englund. And it's, <laughs> so, and you know, they know what they're doing. <laughs> There's the, uh, I think it's a season one episode actually where there's the, where they get the guy who plays Lopan in Big Trouble in Little China to come back. To basically play that part. To basically play Lopan. Oh my God. Um, It's so good. Yeah, it was really good. I love that show. It was a really good show. But, uh, one of them is, one of them is Batman, Batman Brave and the Bold. They knew that it was being ditched. Batman Brave and the Bold, for those who don't know, was a brilliant take on Batman, an animated series from the late 2000s into the early 2010s that was a 
goofy Silver Age and a bit of the Golden Age inspired team-up show based on the Brave and the Bold comic books where DC heroes would get together and go on an adventure. Yeah. And this one was Batman with another hero and you characters who didn't normally get the spotlight were in the spotlight. So Aquaman was a regular fixture of the show voiced by John DiMaggio in the most entertaining rendition of the character yet. <laughs> um, you would have characters like Blue Beetle and the Red Tornado regularly featuring. You'd have characters like Wildcat, Black Canary, Zatanna getting featured episodes. Um, in the fifth and final season, they would dip into, oh, here's a Wonder Woman story. Oh, go on, here's a Superman story. There yeah. you go. Like, they, but they, they made you wait for that shit because that was not the focus. Deirdrick Bader played a version of Batman that was very much like the, you know, you know when people gently take the piss out of the Conroy, kind of like, I am Batman. Like, yeah. that's Deirdrick Bader's Batman. He's the These gentle ribbon. Hammers of justice. Hammers of justice. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it, it was brilliant. It's based on, like, that sort of Dick Sprang era of the illustrations. I mean, Joker, Joker's face is literally the face you see on the bloody playing cards yeah. in all of the comic book iterations. Like, it's, it's wonderful. They knew it was ending. Uh, and they knew it was probably... They didn't know exactly, because they weren't working on what replaced it, which was Beware the Batman. Again, another short-lived show that was, eh. and then in its third and final season, kind of got better, but then it got scrapped. Yeah, um, which was a CGI gritty, inspired more by the Earth One book take on it all that oh, didn't use great. any of the main villains. The only cool. Batman villains that featured in it by the end were Harvey Dent was about to become Two Face, and he did, but you never saw Two Face. Two Face, he was wearing like a, a mask. Yeah, um, Anarchy was in it. And episode one featured Professor Pig, but Professor Pig was now an animal rights activist and an extreme protester. So he, so he wasn't a psycho butcher thingy. So it's like, why make it Professor Pig? Just do something else. Yeah. If you can't really do Professor Pig in a kid show, don't do Professor Pig. Oh, oh Talia and Rachel Gould appeared in it eventually. Oh, okay. But like that—that that was that was the their, their novelty was. It's not going to be Batman villains. It's like. Right, you do realise his villains are half of the outside yeah, that's, of that's, that character. The, the mirror that they hold up to Batman is, is what makes them so in, in compelling. You twat. But whatever. But, but Brave and the Bold kind of had a suspicion that it was being replaced by a gritty CGI take. So they even have a reference in their last episode to the show that will replace it, which is a Batgirl show. Okay. Which is, is done on purpose to annoy a specific character, but it's a gritty CGI show. They got a Fantastic. studio to do a CGI trailer for this show, for, in the show. But the plot of the last episode is Batmite, the interdimensional being voiced perfectly by Paul Rubens yes. is bored of Brave and the Bold because it's not gritty and interesting enough. Brilliant. And they make little nods to like the Nolan films and be <laughs> like, that's what Batman is now, right? <laughs> so he ta- he wants to get the show cancelled, but he can't outright do it. Um, so he tampers with the show's formula to annoy the viewers and demand a cancellation from the network. So suddenly, like Aquaman's voiced by a different person. It's like a celebrity <laughs> voice from the from the eighties, and and um, and and you know he starts to change his Batman's outfits, look more and more ridiculous. Obviously, homaging a lot of the Silver Age weird stuff uh, and all that. And the only thing that could possibly save the day in this last episode is Ambush Bug, played by Henry Winkler. <laughs> who gets involved because he sees what Batman is trying to do and he's like no no I've got to and so he tries to basically keep Batman on, on the uh, uh, aware of what's happening so that he can help fight back against it <laughs> but by the end of the show it's too late it's ah. been canned and they have a um, they have a goodbye party like all the heroes and some of the villains gather in the Batcave to celebrate the end of that adventure as 
the set builders come in and start removing the cardboard T-Rex in the background <laughs> and dismantling the computer. And uh... it's a rap party for the show. That ends with Batman giving a message to camera, basically just saying, like, you know, our adventure might be over, but, like, you know, the things we've learned along the way will never leave us. And as long as you believe in this, that, and the other, the hours of justice. Like, yeah. And it's just, like, a little moral for the kids watching, because it was ultimately aimed at younger kids with a massive dump of fan service for the parents watching with them. But then at the end, Batman's celebrating that he's getting his new show until he and his room start to disappear because the show he's in don't exist anymore. <laughs> and he's like, wait, what? And then he goes, and Batman's gone. And it's like, that is great. They left this daft, wonderful, batshit, weird show on a note that makes you feel devastated it's ending. Yeah. Um, but also, like, happy that they got to bow out on their own terms. And that so tends to be, that really tends to be nice. the pattern. Like, yeah. Shows tend to end really well when the creators are like, okay, we're doing it the way we want to do it. <clears throat> yeah. Apart from Game of Thrones, which is like, okay, we just want to be done with this until we can go and do something else. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, I cannot wait for all of the cast to eventually say something about what happened. The only cast member I, I've noticed has been very aggressively defending the ending of Game of Thrones has been Sophie Turner. Not necessarily the choices, but just like fighting against people who are slagging it yeah, off. Yeah, I don't which, think... which, which I got to a point. I totally get what they're talking about the protesters and the people um, petitioning for a remake. Yeah, like, yeah. Absolutely, tell them to piss off because that's ridiculous. But she's been doing it still since, yeah. and it's like, Sophie, come on. Come on, Sophie. This is not the hill you are want you, to die Are on. you going to defend Dark Phoenix as well? <laughs> Jesus. Just, it's not worth it. Just it's have a career. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Just have a career. Just, yeah, don't, move Don't on. do this. Use the goodwill of, of the fan favourite roles you've played to go and make something else, and please, please... Don't die on this hill. No, no, no. Uh, we'll get to another quick one uh, just before we go. What about an email? Hey, <laughs> I love your work. Um, <laughs> we, uh, piss right off. Um, <clears throat> and it's just a little uh, something about Spidey. Oh, <clears throat> so it comes in from Lewis, and Lewis says, "Did your man from Hom?" Yes, says, "Greetings, all." Potential spoilers ahead. So, Spider-Man Far From Home, then. I have had major issues with this version of the character since Homecoming. I don't like the fact that Uncle Ben isn't even mentioned, and there are various other things that bug me about this particular iteration of one of my favourite fictional characters ever. These issues carried over into Far From Home and were somewhat heightened. A lot of people have misinterpreted when I say this. I absolutely do not hate the film. In fact, for the most part, I really enjoyed it. It's well-paced, fun. Zendaya's MJ isn't the traditional version of the character, but still has that essence and is fantastic, I think. Mysterio is great, and the action was exciting. But there's a certain visual during a scene toward the end. The scene in question is now one of my favourite Spider-Man sequences ever put to film. But this visual makes a clear mission statement about what they want this Spidey to be, who his guilt comes from, and what the filmmakers want him to grow into. Fair enough, but I guess this one ain't for me. Still, it's a fun film, and I'm certainly not going to be like one of those toxic fanboys who berate anybody that enjoys it. There are plenty of other versions of the character out there that I personally prefer, I can go back to watch any time I like, and I'm so glad that people are enjoying this take on the character. It's just my silly personal opinion at the end of the day. Anyway, that's me done. Bye-bye. Lewis, that is the most sensible and healthy reaction yeah. that I've ever heard yes. in relation to this. It's nice, it's like, eh, you know me, but yeah, it's good for other people. I like it. I so like... many people do not react with that actual amount of common sense. So I like... thank you for being a nice person. I like a nuanced and balanced uh, critique. 
Yeah, I mean, I like it's, that. it's true. We touched on it last week. There are this this Spidey is not the traditional Spidey uh, that we know. He's more Ultimate Spider-Man in terms of inspirational elements. Yeah, um, particularly uh, the, the later Ultimate Spider-Man. And there are flashes of the classic Spidey formula in there. There are certainly flashes of Yeah, it. yeah, um, yeah. I do agree with you in a way. It seems a shame that Uncle Ben has yet to be mentioned by name. I do think that is weird. After five appearances, it is odd. But I think it's one of those, like, they just... <sighs> Everyone knows. No, true, but I mean, just no one said his name. And it's been done like, that's, twice. That's, that's strange. I don't mean, like, ever since Uncle but like, just no one said his name yet. Yeah. That is odd. Uh, we've had we've had a nod to him. Peter's suitcase, Peter's suitcase. is Ben's suitcase. It's got um, uh, B F P yeah. on it, so it's like oh, that's cool. I think it, I think this is Ben Ben Franklin Parker it or something like that. But it, it's it's a sh- it is a shame he's not been mentioned. I would have liked to have mentioned. Do you know what I mean? But hey, save that for the next one because the next film I think should focus on. Spidey yeah. and not the Iron Man legacy. But it's also and nice. there's definitely more cause to talk about Peter and his life in the next one. Now. It's also nice to see an Aunt May who isn't constantly in mourning. Oh, agreed. Yeah, like, May again, is just like again, like Ultimate and particularly like modern May. Yeah, like uh, J. Uh, Michael Straczynski onwards. May yeah has very much been her own character and has been a really brilliant character to spend time with. Also, the point where modern comics May was married to. Uh, J. John Jameson. John Jameson, yeah, John Jameson, uh, who is J.J. Senior. So actually gets remarried in the later life, which is a it's a neat, which was I thought was a neat. Hell, during uh, JMS's run, she has a romantic freaking thing going on with Jarvis. Oh, of course, throughout JMS's run and, and the yeah, New Avengers, yeah. Because yeah. uh, when she's when uh, when she's dying in um, in uh, uh, the tail end of Back in Black and the start of One More Day. Like, Peter beats the crap out of Stark, traps him in place, and he's like, you're going to pay for her hospital treatment. And he's like, "I, what do you mean? He's like, she's dying. She's in a coma and she's on a hospital bed because of a thing that happened because of you making me do what I did. Because of you, I did this, that led to this, and that led to her dying. So you're going to pay for it. And Stark's like, I genuinely am sorry about May. Like, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. But I'm not paying for that. Because then I will have aided and aided... A fugitive and that will knock down my campaign I'm the head of this thing I'm the head of the thing that's trying to catch you like I'm not going to do it and then Stark escapes and but lets Peter off because of Aunt May's like I'm going to go I'm going to leave you be and off he buggers and then he gives Jarvis three million dollars and he's like right here's where they are go and be a donor go and be a random donor so he still does it but Jarvis donates the money and it's <clears> it's horrible because you get this very it's the last moment of Jarvis sort of acknowledging his and May's relationship because of course after that the conclusion of One More Day happens, and that is written from, rewritten from the continuity. It's like, oh, damn it, because they're quite cute together. But yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice if at just some point she's like, look, I'm going to date someone, alright? Like, your uncle's like, no longer date, here. Not, not really. Like, yeah, your uncle, not... your uncle is no longer here, I miss him so much, but like, I've found somebody and Ben would approve. Do you know what I mean? Like, just do something like that. And it's, it's like... Happy Hogan! And it's Happy Hogan! It's freaking Happy Hogan. Oh, I can't get over that shot in the play. Again, vague, not spoilers, but I can't get over that shot in the play when Peter just sort of does the little thing with the hologram and it's just, yeah. it's a direct shot from from the obvious movie that it's from. Yeah. And as Kevin Smith pointed out in his video about it this week, it's the direct shot whilst it's being observed by the guy who gave us that yeah. movie. 
I was just like, oh, this is so good. Um, yeah, I totally... That scene alone made me realise why this is the end of Phase 3. Yeah. Like, we've gone full circle now. Like, it's happened. Yeah. And Phase 4 can be a complete clean slate. With characters we know and love and brand new characters. And hopefully we'll have more information about that in the next few weeks as we approach San Diego Comic-Con. As we approach the millennium. So what I want to know for next week, folks and foquettes alike, is in the run-up to SDCC 2019, what reveals are you expecting? There won't be too many from the world of gaming as we've just had E3, but as far as like comic books, movies, TV series and franchise stuff that's about to come up... What do we think we're going to yeah. see? Whatever if we get any gaming stuff, we'll get more Avengers info. But well, that's the yeah. thing. Dis- like you said, Disney are coming to talk. Disney are going to announce something or other with the Marvel panel. Um, but you know what else is out there? What books we're going to see? Uh, Warner Warner Brothers is not there as DC, but DC no, is DC no. is there with comic book shenanigans and stuff. Yeah, so. but there's no like DC film or DC universe. There's no there's no Warner like Brothers panel, which is so strange. Just like yeah, what about, what about your other releases, yeah. Warners? But that might be because they might do what Marvel did last year, where Marvel didn't attend, uh, Marvel Studios didn't attend, but they put bits and pieces out online over the duration or just after. Um, We're so, in a new media world. Who knows what's coming next? Stuff and ting. Stuff and ting. Stuff and ting. Let us know what stuff and ting you're expecting. BigDamnContact at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at BigDamnCast. Yes! You catch us streaming games and nonsense and bollocks and fun. You can go to twitch.tv slash BigDamnStream. Yeah, I haven't streamed for a while, but I will be doing it. Got to get on up with that thing. Well, apparently we need to play Doom and Yeah, thanks for we got your email about Doom. Any excuse for me to play Doom again? Next couple of weeks, I'll come over, I'll join you for a backlogging, we'll do a random jump back into Doom for Oh, a okay. That's fine. But I'll make sure not? it's installed. I'm up for that. I'm it's game. about 90 gig. It's so big. It's so big! Because it's, it's so fast. Yeah. It's so fast. <laughs> um, as was this, it went by in a drift. <laughs> <laughs> Love to you all. See you later. Till next week. Segatan Sanchiro, Segatan Sanchiro, Segatan Sanchiro. Sega-tan, Sanchiro. Sega-tan, Sanchiro.